Hello, and welcome to Women Developing Brilliance. I'm your host, Casey Rossi. It's my great pleasure to present interesting stories of creative women sharing their message and lighting up the world with their presence and offerings. Get ready to be inspired. You can learn more about creating a business that you love by visiting kcrossi.com. Enjoy. My guest today is Shannon Lore. She is the founder of Factory 45 and helps people launch their fashion and accessory businesses that are using sustainable and ethical products and practices. So I'm really excited to dive in and welcome so much to the show, Shannon. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. So I have not had a guest on the show like you, so I have lots of different questions about fashion. I've actually been really enjoying The Bold Type, which is a series on Hulu, and it's like about a fashion magazine and people that have, maybe you already know about it. Have no, I'll have to check it oh, out. it's so cute. It's a little after school specialish, but I like that kind of stuff. It's light and it's fun, and it really kind of highlights female empowerment and people going after their dreams in the fashion industry, whether it be writing or designing. So it's a really cute show. I love that. Tell me how you got interested in fashion. Yeah. So I was a journalism major, so did not go to fashion school, did not have a fashion background. I found myself more interested in entrepreneurship. And basically, I graduated during the 08 financial crisis no one was getting a job. I decided I'm not even going to try to compete. I'm going to go and bartend in Australia. And I went to Australia. I stayed bartending my way around the world, as I call it, for two years and just had so much life experience that I probably wouldn't have had going straight into corporate America and met amazing people and had amazing things happen and learned about entrepreneurship. Never really was on my radar. Actually, Entrepreneurship 101 was the worst grade I got in college. Wow, (laughs) hilarious. Yeah. So I was back in the States after two years of traveling and I got a Facebook message from a friend that I had met in Australia. She was another American girl. And she said, I know you're not going to get a real job let's do something together. The short version of the long story is that we ended up going down to Central America. We were just really trying to find an excuse to continue traveling. And so we started designing one garment that could be worn a bunch of different ways. And it was for female travelers and minimalists like us. Oh, cool. So was this back in 2010? This was your revolution? This was how you started? Amazing. I loved reading that because I was like, ooh, I travel a lot and I definitely lean towards minimalism. So those buzzwords really captured me. And so that's incredible. How long did you run that operation? Yeah. So what happened was we started this in 2010 and it took us a year to break into the American manufacturing industry. Like I said, we were down in Central America, started researching that. We realized what is sustainable fashion? What is ethical fashion? If we're going to start a business, we want it to be good for people and planet. So back in the States, we realized, whoa, this is so much harder than we thought it would be. You know, manufacturing industry in America at that time was very closed off. It was kind of just an insulated network that we had a really hard time breaking into. And so we ended up eventually launching a year later and we ran that operation for about two years and we ran the highest funded fashion project in Kickstarter history to fund our first production run. Yeah, it was, we quadrupled our first production run. The New York Times was calling, the Wall Street Journal was tweeting. It was like this big, cool thing. 
Wow, amazing. Did you feel at that point that you arrived? Oh my gosh, this is like the ever ending question, right? 10 years later, I still like feel I haven't arrived. <laughs> yeah, I get <laughs> so it. I, you know, it's like that ongoing imposter syndrome, but no, it was an amazing experience. And I think what we took from that was our first experience in entrepreneurship. Like what can we do next? I don't think either of us were planning for it to have the success that it did, but we just learned so much through that. And then we knew we wanted to go off and do different things. That's amazing. So I have a couple questions. One, what was the biggest lesson that you learned from Revolution? Biggest lesson that honestly, entrepreneurship is a matter of persistence. The people who are successful just don't take no for an answer. Everyone has great ideas. I've heard Sarah Blakely of Spank say that everyone has come up with a million dollar idea in their lifetime. It's just the difference of the people who actually move forward and keep going because it's so much easier just to have ideas and keep them in your head and never take action on them. I love that. I got the chills. Mm -hmm. I love that. In fact, I wanted to talk to you about that because I read your blog, which was talking about like the number one thing that entrepreneurs must do. And yeah, it's the single really, most important trait. Yes. yes. And yeah. it's taking action. And so I want to ask you for the solopreneurs and entrepreneurs that are stuck in their minds that just keep doing idea creation and they're collecting virtual dust or they have piles on their desks, what's a tip that you have for them to bust out of that? To try not to aim for perfect. Like good enough is so much better than perfect. The other thing is you can't worry about copycats and competition. This is something I hear from my entrepreneurs I work with a lot, like that they're so afraid to put their idea out there or to move forward, you know, telling everyone or taking action on it because they're worried someone's going to copy it. And it's just everyone has ideas. It's the people who take action on them that are going to move forward. So sure, someone can take your idea, but it's never going to pan out to be the idea that you would take action on and create. Yeah, that's so good. That's such a good tip. And it's so interesting. That feeling, I think, comes across the board. You know, they may think because fashion's more competitive or jewelry is very competitive that it's unique to them, but it really doesn't matter. I work with wellness professionals and aromatherapists and yoga teachers, and that same common thread is prevalent that they're going to be copied or they're going to be judged. And that keeps them in their shell. Yes. And I think you really hit on that. You know, one thing too is there are creators and then there are people that try to duplicate creators and there's never going to be the same flavor. And I think you just have to know like there's more where that came from. Like I'm going to create this and keep moving, keeping that trend center. So that's awesome. The other thing I'm super curious about since when that launched, you launched as a collab in a partnership. And I know that partnerships can sometimes be challenging. I also know that in this climate, that it also helps people that maybe would be afraid to step out as a solo to partner up with somebody because there's like safety in numbers, you know, like the dynamic duo. So I'm wondering what your take is on collaborations and partnerships and how you found coming from a co-founding aspect to now being just solo. Yeah, that's a really good question. I am in the unique position where I've experienced both. And I loved having a co-founder. I mean, I think that the journey that I took having a co-founder first for my first business experience was really good because not only do you feel like, you know, you're a dynamic duo and you have each other, but there's the accountability. I think that if 
I was just doing it on my own, I probably would have stopped. Like I wouldn't have taken action and seen it all the way through because it's your first experience in business. You don't know what you're doing. And so to have that person who also doesn't know what she's doing, but you know, you feel accountable to her to keep moving forward. That was so paramount to our success. And then for solopreneurship, now that I had some experience under my belt and I felt like more confident, you know, I like being able to run my own show. I make all the decisions. I don't have to run them by anyone else. So that's kind of the pro of doing it on your own. Did you have a difficult time transitioning coming from that two versus one? Like when you transition down, did it take you a while to get your sea legs and build up your confidence as somebody being independent? For sure. And I had a very clear transitional period. I sold my portion of our clothing business to my business partner. So there was like a clean break there and we parted ways amicably. We're still friends. But then I went into more of a freelance consulting role. I didn't go straight into Factory 45, which is what I do now. I sort of like put a toe in and then kind of put my feelers out and you know, put up kind of like a basic website. And I was just consulting on a per project basis. And that, again, sort of gave me like a little hint of what it would be like without throwing myself fully into it. Yeah, so awesome. I love that. I asked because I had several different businesses with my business partner. We had actually 10 different operations and our longest one ran for 17 years. And so there was a lot of safety being in the dynamic duo relationship. And there was that accountability and also relying on her strengths and her personality we balanced each other out. So I found it took several years to really bridge over into being a solopreneur, me, myself, and I, and yes, the pluses were there as far as being able to make your own decisions and that creative independence. But then there was a lot of other fears that came up where it's like, oh, this is interesting. Like I'm two decades in being a full-time entrepreneur, but here's a whole new set of stuff to deal with. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And like just as the times change and like every year it's like some new social media thing you have to learn, it seems. So yeah, I totally agree. Absolutely. I'm glad you brought up the social media thing because as I was looking through some of your materials, like you're very dialed in, very polished. And I'm wondering, do you have a team that supports you with sales and marketing and social media presence? Or is this something that you've taken in baby steps and DIY'd it along the way? Definitely baby steps DIY. I do now have a creative director. She does all my website stuff and then she'll do like social media, some of the like more graphic design stuff. But I run all of my own social media myself. I've actually tried to hire a social media manager three times and it has never worked for me personally. I think my standards are too high and also just like people need to hear my voice. I'm the brand and I think that's 100%. You totally read my mind. I was thinking that like, it's everyone's dream that someone can get in their head and speak using their voice, but (laughs) which really goes to your other point of worrying about being copied because you are the only one that can do you on point, you know, and having that authenticity, which feels like it's very much a part of your core brand values. It's gotta be you. Like it has to be your authentic personality. Yeah, I love that. That's so cool. I'm glad that that came up because someone can look at it and be like, oh my gosh, this is amazing, but they don't really understand the steps that it took 
to get oh there. My gosh. If anyone can go to my Instagram, it's factory45co, but you could scroll back like years back and you'll see how like not cute it is. <laughs> you know, you just learn. And that is the thing that, again, I tell my entrepreneurs is just start, experiment. And you know what? Do it when you don't have a following. Do it when no one's looking. Yeah, you have like your mom following you on Instagram maybe and like your best friend. Do it then because they're not judging you and it gives you time to like, okay, so I see how that worked or like, let's use hashtags here. Or, like this aesthetic is working more. Oh, this type of photo performs better. Just now is the time when you're feeling self-conscious of everything. That's when you should be doing it. <laughs> yeah, I love that. It dovetails right into the taking action, progress over perfection, and like that whole phrase that, like you said, done is better than perfect. And the other cool thing is I like that you still have everything that you can scroll back for years. I was just talking to a colleague and she was saying, I'm so much better now than two years ago when I started my YouTube channel. I'm thinking of going back and deleting those initial videos. And I was like, no. No. Oh it. People need to see the progression. They need to see that it wasn't polished. And look, with your perseverance, how much different your message, your clarity, your tone, your lack of saying, all of those things, it's inspirational. Keep them a part of your journey. Would you agree with that? A hundred percent. I think that's honestly what people want to see now too, is they don't want perfect. Like, They want to see you in your real authentic self, your raw. I think that is what people are craving because for so long we had this whole like Instagram thing going where like everyone was like doing this beautiful aesthetic and there were all the filters and like everything looked perfect and we still have some of that, but I don't think that's what people want anymore. Today's episode is brought to you by Thrive Business Thrive, a step-by-step -step business building online course. Thrive Business Thrive takes you from a concept to paying clients in just 16 weeks. If you're tired of doing it alone and trying to piece together your business by watching one YouTube tutorial after another and following multiple experts, it's time to plug into a tried and true plan. Thrive Business Thrive focuses on results, increasing your impact, and moreover, establishing the foundation needed for a thriving business. To learn more about Thrive Business Thrive, your blueprint to create a flourishing business, visit caseyrossi.com slash thrive. That's caseyrossi.com slash thrive. I would love your take or your tips or your strategies, yeah. whatever you got for me. <laughs> For people listening that are worried to break out, that are clinging to graphic templates that look really beautiful and polished, or maybe they're even buying a pack from Jasmine Star to have a curated fee, nothing wrong with that. But what I'm wondering is for those people that are afraid to take a selfie, to not have makeup, to just be them cooking dinner, what can you say to them to help them go from polished templates to the real them. Yeah. So, I mean, this is hard I, because I have polished templates. Like I have IG stories that look nice, but then I intertwine the real stuff, right? So I think that's part of it. You can have a brand aesthetic. I think that's still important and putting that forward. But then I think that, you know, you can hop on IG stories or you can do an IG live or there can be a photo in your feed that feels realer and rawer and gives people kind of a peek into what is happening behind the scenes. And then I think that 
that combination, like mixing those two elements up is really interesting because you're not just showing like you're cooking all the time or like walking your dog all the time. You're showing peaks of that in between the more polished branded look. I love that integrated approach. Awesome. Thank you. I know that's going to be really valuable for people to just kind of crack into that. What do you have coming up on the docket? What's getting you excited as we move deeper into 2020? So going back, you know, I started my clothing company and then I was consulting on a per project basis that took me into 2014 when I launched Factory 45, which is the business I run now. And it's a six month accelerator program that takes sustainable fashion brands from idea to launch. And that is now what I do. We run it six months every year and applications open on May 6th. Perfect. Yeah. Whoa, that's amazing. So is this just open and close enrollment once a year, if I'm hearing you right? Yeah. Wow. So it's a whole cohort. Do you keep a minimum? Like, do you have like a maximum of students? Yeah. The sweet spot is around 100 people. And so this year for the first time ever, I'm bringing in alumni mentors. So people who have graduated and launched their brands through Factory 45, I'm bringing in nine of them to be mentors throughout the program, which I'm very excited about because the past five years, it's only been me. So I think this will really add another dimension to the program. Oh, on so many levels, not only does it add support, but it also is like real life social proof on the transformation with people that are out there in the world and then they're coming back in. So, so very smart. I'm excited for you. Can you share a story of maybe one of your past students that came to you with an idea and what happened after six months and their launch? Sure. So I always tell the story about VETA, which is a really great one. Just Google it. It's V-E-T-T-A. Okay. Um, But I'm going to tell a different one because I feel like I always tell that one. So Tiffany, she was in a PR job, you know, nine to five, and she had the idea that she wanted to start a sustainable fashion brand. She didn't know what she wanted to start, so she just joined the program, didn't have an idea, just started from day one. This is, again, like just taking action. You don't have to have everything figured out. So she eventually settles on the idea of a round organic cotton beach blanket. Mm -hmm. And she worked so hard for the six months. She launched at the end of it, did pre-sales of the blanket. And I think it's been four years later, she's still in business. She has wholesale accounts in the Four Seasons across in Hawaii. She's just doing amazing things and just, just such a beautiful product. She's been in Cosbox. So Fair Sea Supply Co. Very, very cool. I love that. I spent the first five weeks of the year in Hawaii and it was like when I first saw those beautiful round blankets and I was like, those are cool. Yeah. So one thing that I'm curious about, because I noticed when you first did your launch with Revolution and now with Tiffany's story, the similarity is that you started with one product. Is that what you recommend versus a full line of SKUs? That's a really good question. So it just so happens, she ended up doing four SKUs. It was like one product, but four different colorways. And that's what we did. We did one product with a bunch of different colorways. I would say you can absolutely launch with one product, obviously. Like there's a lot of evidence of that. If you want to launch more than one product, I don't recommend doing more than five to seven pieces. Okay. So I've had a lot of entrepreneurs come through my program and they'll do small capsule collections, which have done really, really well. You know, that idea. Yeah. So like five pieces, not only is it just cuts back on product development costs and again, just getting something out there rather than waiting for this like whole 12 piece collection, but it also 
doesn't create decision paralysis with customers. Oh, so yeah. having like a tighter, more polished capsule collection has worked really, really well. I love that. And I think it's hot, it's trendy, and yeah. people are going more into the minimal way in a yes. lot of areas. So if they like your style, they can like buy your collection and really feel like everything coordinates. It's easy. You know, it's fun. I like that a lot. So before I let you go, I want to lift you up for the sustainability and the ethically sourced and produced unique selling aspects of your brand. Talk to me a little bit about why those are such big brand values for you. Yeah. So I think that answer has probably evolved over the years. 10 years ago, I was just learning what sustainable fashion was. I, at the time, was like a fast fashion bargain bin junkie. Like I would go into Forever 21, buy a dress, wear it once, throw it out. Like had no clue. And now I only shop secondhand or sustainable brands. I shop very minimally. My closet is very small. But I think just realizing that everything you buy has to end up somewhere. And right now, most of the clothing we buy is made of polyester and that takes 200 years to decompose in a landfill. So just thinking about that, first of all, like before you do buy something and then the human rights, what most people know as sweatshops or the fact that there's like over 20 million actual slaves in could be 200 million, fact check that, 20 or 200 million. But it's real. And I think once you watch True Cost documentary, you start reading some of these books, it opens these doors and you can't go back. And so that's why when I decided to do anything, you know, whether it was launching this accelerator program, I didn't want to open it to every fashion brand in the world. I wanted to focus on the people who want to do this sustainably and ethically and care about people and planet. Yeah, I love that. And I love the fact that when we narrow our niche, that we are pulling together this beautiful tribe of people that have very similar values. And I think that that just bonds us more as kind of a full unit. Do you find that as well? Oh, totally. Once you like start to find your people, you realize, oh, there are more people out here. I thought I was alone. I thought I was the only one who cared about this. And it's like, again, that cliche about it just takes a small group of people to start making big impact. I I do think, especially in the fashion industry, and I've seen this, you know, when we started in 2010, no one knew what sustainable fashion was. Like you did not use those words together. And now it's actually something where you could say to someone, you know, not familiar with the industry at all, sustainable fashion, and they've at least like heard about it and sort of, you know, know what it is. That's so awesome. progress you, is being made. Yeah. And you're a big part of that. You put it on the map. Yeah. And so amazing, amazing kudos Thank to you. you. How would you describe your personal style? Classic. I'm wearing like a button up chambray shirt right now. I try to keep things timeless and trendless and then like also easy because I have a toddler running around all the time. <laughs> nice. Uh, that's awesome. That's so very, very cool. So how can people get a hold of you or learn more about your accelerator program if they want to enroll in May? So applications open on May 6th at factory45.co. I'm also on Instagram at factory45co. And if anyone has questions, I'm very approachable. You can email me at shannon at factory45.co. Sweet. I'll make sure to include all the links in the show notes. And if you wanted to leave our listeners with some bright light wisdom, what would your closing words be? Times feel weird right now. And we're going to get through this. And we need entrepreneurship. We need people to start businesses. We need people to continue growing their businesses. And we will get through this. So don't stop. I love it. Beautiful 
relevant and inspiring. Thank you so very much for being here today. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed today's episode on women developing brilliance. If so, head on over to Apple iTunes and subscribe to this podcast. And I'd be grateful if you could leave a review or rating so more people can benefit from these inspirational stories about the solopreneur journey. Thank you.